For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Gerald Green to inbound. Harden trying to get free. Down to three, down to two. It's a three. What's going on, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another installment of Believe in the Rockets, only on the Believe Podcast Network. And as always, I'm your host, Cody Davis, Rockets insider for the Dream Shake over at SB Nation. Ladies and gentlemen, today I am pleased to have with me a good buddy of mine all the way in California who covers the Golden State Warriors for Let'sGoWarriors.com. Please welcome Daniel Hardy. Daniel, what's going on, bro? Oh, you know, too blessed to be stressed. I uh, really appreciate the invite for bringing me on here, man. Um, as I understand, there's a pretty funny uh, little anniversary coming up between uh, both the Rockets and the Warriors. And um, I'm certainly pleased and I'm super appreciative that you thought of me to bring me on today, man. And uh, of course, we're good friends. Last summer, we were in uh, 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 Vegas for Summer League and, uh, you know, had a great friendship start up there. So I really appreciate you having me on. Man, it's funny how one year can change everything. You know, I was actually looking forward to reuniting with you guys in Vegas this summer, but this thing called COVID-19 came along and changed my plans and not only changed my plans, but possibly could change the NBA calendar forever as we know it. So perhaps the next time we get together and hang out again, it may be the fall league, spring league. I don't know. But <laughs> before we get started, man, how are you and your family doing? Oh, we're doing fantastic, man. Um, obviously, uh, it's a strange time, you know, uh, things uh, changing, it seems, by the day. Um, but, yeah, we're, we're blessed, man, and um, um, fortunately, we've been all good. Uh, how about you and your, your family? Oh, man, you know, we're doing good. You know, everybody's staying safe, you know, so always thankful to that. You know, the best part about all this, I actually had a lot more time to spend with my, with my wife and my mom and my grandma and stuff. So, you know, just having a little bit extra time to spend with family is always a good thing. So you're saying like the, the kind of extra time where maybe there might be little Cody Jr. running around a little bit? <laughs> um, You know, I don't want to get into that, but uh, 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 let's, let's, let's just stick into the reason why you was brought on this show. <laughs> Now, Daniel, I wanted to bring you on as a guest on this show today to talk about what might be the best rivalry in sports over the past five years, which is the Houston Rockets and the Golden State Warriors, two teams who are arguably the best teams in the NBA since 2015. But unfortunately, only one team has a ring to remind fans they dominance, while the other, uh, unfortunately, not so much. And I picked this week to bring you on because Sunday marked the two-year anniversary between the Rockets and the Golden State Warriors epic game five battle from the 2018 Western Conference Finals. A game in which the Rockets won 98-94 to go up 3-2 in the series with Chris Paul scoring 20 points. And I believe if I'm not mistaken, 16 or 18 of those 20 points came in the second half. 
but unfortunately injured his hamstring in the closing seconds. So Daniel, I wanted to bring you on not only to get a perspective from you as a reporter, but also as a fan to take us back to game five in the series in which I wanted to know when and if you guys ever thought to yourself, dang, the Rockets might get us this year. Um, During the game five, no, I didn't. I did not think that. And basically um, the reason why, um, number one, um, from the fan perspective, the completely biased perspective, you know, I was here, you know, um, during the trash years of the 90s and early 2000s. Um, and then when we had the We Believe year, it was like, wait a minute. Oh, my goodness. We might win a championship just because we made the playoffs as an eighth seed. So already, you know, anytime the Warriors are in the playoffs or have a chance to do it, my heart's going to be there a thousand percent as a fan. So just, you know, just g- general, you know, fanatic hashtag We Believe type stuff. I'm there. But as an unbiased, you know, observer and reporter, I think you got to look at um, a major difficulty for the Rockets in that series. Um, so um, you notice that the Rockets that year, I think they were second in the league in scoring, and they scored like 112 points per game, something like that. In that series, they only um, crossed 100 twice, and that was in the first two games. Um, so clearly, the Warriors' defense was a problem for them. On the other end, uh, the Rockets' defense was a problem for the Warriors. Um, but when you look at the firepower the Warriors had, Steph, Clay, and KD, and then you look at the Rockets, who mostly were relying on James Harden, Chris Paul, and then I would say, you know, Eric Gordon there, I just felt like star power, to star, uh, star power the Warriors would have the advantage, even if they started trailing in the series. In fact, I was most shocked that they did end up trailing, um, because if you recall, uh, game one, the Warriors come into Houston, because uh, the Rockets have the number one seed, and the Rockets take that L first game, boom. So that's... Mm-hmm. A pretty big message. Uh, game two, Rockets, uh, even the series. But, you know, as a road team, all you want to do is get that split. So the Warriors got this split, which in my mind, as the reigning champions, um, I think gave them a mental edge. Uh, then in game three, uh, the Warriors beat them by like 41 points. So when you beat this team that's supposed to be the, the new challenger by 41 points, in addition to beating them the first game at home, to me, that indicates that you probably have the advantage on them. But what happened in game three at the end? Andre Iguodala got hurt. Now, I know a lot of people were saying that, you know, you can't compare Iguodala to Chris Paul as far as the injuries there. I know uh, Luke Mbamute was hurt as well. But let's think about this, right? Um, one of the biggest knocks on Steph Curry's career is he never won a Finals MVP. Well, Andre Iguodala actually won that precious Finals MVP award. So you have a Finals MVP no longer able to, to participate in the series. That casts a huge, huge shadow over it. And even still... The games were super close. It wasn't like the Rockets were like, oh, Iggy's out, time to dominate. It was, each game was coming down to the wire. So now uh, Chris Paul plays out of his mind in the, the fifth game. I mean, the shots he was hitting, um, of course, everyone remembers the the, the shimmy over, over Steph, but the shots he was hitting over Oh, yeah, David how can West, you not? Oh, hey, hey, I had to laugh myself. I was like, he got him. He got him, okay. <laughs> <laughs> he got him. That's a little payback for what uh, Steph put him on skates in L.A. But, um Overall, I'm, I'm looking at that. I'm being like, wow, Chris Paul played out of his mind. And in my mind, I'm thinking, wow, he's sure exerting a lot of energy. And from Chris Paul's history, we know that he's prone to injuries. So when I, I'm seeing him give his all, when he pulled up lame, I was like, okay, I can't say you know that I knew what's going to happen. But there was a high probability with that man's history, the, the amount of tread on his tires, 
and for the amount of exertion that the Warriors are forced to go through. If you remember, after the series, Ethan Sherwood-Strauss uh, for The Athletic talked um, about how the players for the Warriors were intentionally pushing Chris Paul to the limit. They were running things at Chris Paul, forcing him to defend. And on defense, they were making work for everything because they knew eventually this guy has so much, you know, some might say experience, but he's kind of old, you know, in certain respects there with all the um, wear and tear on him. They figured at one point it would get to him. Now, uh, when it got to him, he was laying a smackdown. Can't deny that. But um, I think any neutral observer could say, wow, Chris Paul staying healthy deep in the playoffs doesn't happen very often. Um, and it, it's unfortunate, but I think his history shows it. And I'm glad that you touched on the Chris Paul situation because you cannot talk about this rivalry or talk about this series without mentioning that injury. And I was actually shocked to learn a few weeks ago that the Rockets were already concerned about Paul's health coming into game five, according to Kelly Eco of The Athletic, who made that statement during his podcast, Brody in the Beard. Now, to backtrack, listen, ladies and gentlemen, not only am I a Rockets insider, a Rockets reporter, but I grew up a Rockets fan and they are still my number one team in sports to root for. With that being said, I was never too confident in the Rockets' ability to come away as winners in this series, but I did believe that they did have a puncher's chance. And after they bounced back by getting their behinds handed to them, losing by 40 plus, I knew it was a different ball game for the Rockets up until the Chris Paul injury. Now, with that being said, what bugs me the most is the narrative that the Rockets only lost because they did not have Paul, which is true. They did need a Chris Paul, but that is not the sole reason why they lost this series. Now, Daniel, correct me if I'm wrong. I do believe that the Rockets were up by double digits in both game six and game seven, correct? Oh, they absolutely were. In fact, uh, the Warriors became the first team in NBA history to bounce back from double digit uh deficits and win the series uh twice so yeah they they were down in game six by i think like 17 i think they were down 15 in game seven and then became the first team in nba history to bounce back from those deficits so take from that what you will <laughs> <laughs> my point exactly my brother and yes paul's injury played a significant part in the rockets not advancing in 2018 but at the same time to me my in my humble opinion this series came down to one factor that is the coaching staff not making no kind of adjustments and yes i am referring to and of course i'm going to talk about it game seven when this team missed 27 straight three-point field goals attempts which still to me at the end of the day does not make no kind of sense to me whatsoever to allow your team, a team who has a chance to get to the NBA Finals, to miss 27 straight three-point field goals attempts. To understand how bad of a shooting night they had, Houston shot 7 for 44, 15% from beyond the arc. And out of those seven made three-point baskets, five of them came in the first half. And another thing that in this and this what gives me the most and I've actually taken time the other day to rewatch game seven. This bugs me more so now than it did back in 2018 when the Rockets and Warriors came out of the halftime break. Houston missed seven or eight. I can't remember. I can't remember which one it was. They missed seven or eight straight three point field goals attempts. 
And you want to know why that hurts me the most now? Because the Warriors were struggling as well. And I'm so frustrated looking back on that now because nobody, a coaching staff, none of the players, nobody took the time to take a time out, to go to the sideline, to regroup, and say, hey, guys, we are 24 minutes away from going to the NBA Finals. All we have to do is regroup, come back together, and, and find some kind of other way to make shots. And to me, that gave the Warriors not only a chance to get back into the game, but that lets me know that they was like, you know what? If they're going to just continue shooting and missing all these three-point baskets, as long as they don't go in, we still have an opportunity and a chance to win. And yes, I understand. During that time period, they made two three-pointers and the referees called it back by saying traveling violation or offensive foul, one of the two. But even when you factor in those six points, that still does not give them the edge of winning this game. <laughs> so, you, like I say, man, it, it's frustrating because a lot of people want to look and say, man, if Chris Paul would have been healthy, you know, if it wasn't for the hamstring, yes, all that is true. But to me, it goes down to coaching adjustments. Even when you take a look at game six, and remember, I even told you this in Vegas last year. To me, game six, Clay might be the all-time GOAT. I don't care who you're <laughs> who you're putting up there. Game six, Clay is the GOAT, period. For that one game, he's the GOAT. But the fact that they were up by like 15 points at halftime and they missed a ton of a lot of threes in the second half of that game that cost them the game. And that's what's frustrating to me. It's like the fact that this team did not make no kind of coaching adjustments. It seems like the Warriors was like, they're going to just continue shooting, gave them enough time to find their rhythm, get into their offense. And that's when they started running away with the game. Now, you know how it is for a Rockets fan to sit through that game. What was it for like? for you guys at the Bay to sit through game seven, especially in the second half when they're just missing three after three? Well, you know, that's a great question. And I think to answer that, I have to go back to game six because, you know, um, you if you want to, you can look it up. Daniel Hardy, Golden State of Mine, you know, game six. And um, I remember we had a, uh, a round table and they were asking, you know, how do you feel? We're down three, two. And um, I remember saying, I have the same amount of concern that Tom Brady had when he was down at halftime, 28 to three to the Falcons. Um, because when you um, have confidence in true greatness and, you know, <laughs> I know it sounds crazy, but like the Warriors are an all-time dynasty. When you look at the, the greats, the, the Tom Brady's, the Joe Montana's, the Steph Curry's, the Kevin Durant's, um, they have an ability the to Kobe adversity. Kobe Bryant. When adversity comes, it just unlocks a deeper level of, the, of their greatness. And so I had a confidence in that. However, while watching the game, I was frustrated. I was heated. I was like, how are we down 15 in a must-win game at home? What is wrong with us? Oh, my goodness. We're going back to the old school Warriors. We had Danielle Marshall and Anton Jameson. What is going on? So I'm freaking out in my house, right? But then eventually, you know, Steph Curry went berserk, and we win game six. So now we're in game seven. When you win game six at home, you're supposed to do that. I mean, obviously, Chris Paul was hurt. I was like, we're, we're definitely winning at home. Going back into, you know, Houston that game seven all that red all that noise james harden doing his thing it's just like okay okay guys i i need to see the resilience because otherwise they're going to break us early but one thing about the warriors you know they're a third quarter team historically during their run they've always dominated third quarters at a race that we've never seen in nba history so you get down by 15 
but you know you're going to outscore them by, by 12 in the third quarter anyway. So it's almost like, to my, in my, my mind, I was like, okay, if you're down early, you know you're going to smash them in the third quarter, but we're still going to enter the fourth quarter with a deficit. And in a game seven, anything can happen. Fortunately, Mike D'Antoni, speaking of adjustments, kept a very, very, very short bitch. He kept that bitch so short that I was like, wait a minute. You're going to have James Harden and Eric Gordon, these boys, playing super-duper minutes. I mean, you can't have Clint Capella out on the court for too long because he'll get round the floor with the threes. So you're, you're, you're running the super small, super tight rotation. And if you're, if you're playing small, what's the hardest thing to do? Protect the rim and get rebounds. So if you're not protecting the rim because you're small and exhausted, and shout out to P.J. Tucker, who's a dog. He's a beast. But, oh, my goodness, you playing him 40-plus minutes? Like, at, at, at some point... 6'6 six, six or 6'5, six, whatever he is, is going to be 6'6 six, six and 6'5 six, with no energy, no jumping ability because he's worn out. Okay, so you, you're wearing out all your guys. You got James Harden talking about play one on one, get to the basket, and he has to score in the most spectacular way over and over again. It's like somebody, a street fighter with Ryu doing the Hadouken 10 million times in a row. It's like, how many times are you going to do this, bro? Like, eventually, your body physically can't sustain the effort it takes to score at this rate. So to me, yeah, yeah, they started shooting threes because they were tired. They were tired, and they were like, we got to put these dudes away. We're a three-point shooting team. We've made more threes than anybody in NBA history. Screw it. Let's just bomb them out. Now, if those threes land, the Warriors probably lose by 30. But because they didn't land, the Warriors, you know, get the W. But at the same time, I can see why they were like, look, guys, gas takes on E. We got to go for the haymakers. And that's where the championship resilience. And also, even though Chris Paul's number one championship, Having a veteran like that who can take control of the game and say, whoa, 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 guys, let's chill out. Let's get to the mid-range. Let's actually operate some offense here would have been helpful there. So when I look back at that game seven, um, you know, 27, uh, 27 straight missed threes, I'm looking at it as a conflagration of fatigue and fear. They don't have Chris Paul on the court. Their floor general is gone. And now it's like James Harden, take us home. But he's like, yo, I'm exhausted from Garden Clay and Steph and KD. It's like, all right, let's just try to bomb them out with threes didn't work out but at the same time i can see why they might have gone with that um desperation because as you said they had a puncher's chance and what does a puncher do he throws haymakers so they're, they're haymaker, the haymaker missed yeah man you know they they missed a lot let's just say that um in game seven <laughs> you know l- let me just say this just speaking for for rockets fans as a whole when you look at nba twitter and just nba fans who might not understand I believe there might be the only fan base that might understand our pain and frustration when you look back at that 2018 Western Conference Finals is the Sacramento Kings from 2002. And theirs might be a little bit worse because they had a lot of both. Even I was happy, happy as hell by the result because, you know me, I'm team Kobe to the day I die, <laughs> even after that. But even though they had, you know, a lot of questionable calls, you know, I must admit some of them did look questionable, especially when Kobe came, was trying to get the ball and, like, literally – Elbow Doug Christie in his face, and they called the foul on Doug Christie. I was like, oh, hey, that, that was Mike Bibby. No, oh, Mike Bibby. Yeah, that's what it yeah. was. I was like, hey, you know, Kobe threw the elbow of Mike Bibby. Get out the way. You know, you should never be in the way. <laughs> and but, I love you, um, Mike Bibby. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, that, and, I, and I bring up the, the 2002 Sacramento Kings fans because it hurts knowing that you have this window every team has a well not every team but a lot of team has a window where this is your chance to win the championship and 2018 was the Rockets best 
and and it's looking like only hold chance on, hold on, that hold they could on, have won the no, championship. No, no, Cody, no. Here, I got to put you and Rockets fans on trial. In fact, the entire Rockets organization. What are you talking about? I have to do this right now. What what? Okay. What other year that you can say? And we speaking in this era, sir. I just want to remind you, and I have the utmost respect for the Rockets franchise. When I was a kid, I had the Hakeem Olajuwon shoes. Okay, so I am not biased against the city of Houston or the team. However, when you say the best chance for them in one title was that year, it's almost like last year didn't happen when Kevin Durant blows his calf at the timeout. We thought his calf out, and we go into. First of all, we have a whole half of basketball, neck and neck basketball, and you can't beat the Warriors without Kevin Durant, even though Chris Paul is healthy. Number two, the Warriors didn't have their starting center, DeMarcus Cousins. So the Warriors didn't have their starting center or Kevin Durant, and you still can't beat them in half. Okay, but now you go back home to Houston, and as I recall, Houston Rockets did have the advantage. I believe they were favored by Vegas to win that game, and you can't beat the Warriors after Steph Curry scored zero points in the first half. You can't beat the Warriors at a certain point, considering also at the Houston Rockets organization released that potential points document that said that if you had tallied up all the fouls that James Harden was supposed to get in the 2018 uh, Western Conference Finals at the Rockets would have won, you went to the computer and made up some nonsense with the algorithm about how your team should have won. Sir, that's ridiculous. So on the on the flip side, not only did they cry about what would happen because, you know, Chris Paul went down, even though Andre Iguodala went down, no one cared about that. The next year, you have Kevin Durant, arguably the best player in the world, go down, and you still can't get the job done. At a certain point, it's time to look in the mirror. Like I was saying before you cut me off with that nonsense, when looking back at this era of Rockets basketball, 2018 may have been Houston's best and possibly only chance to win a title. And yes, and let me just say this before I move forward. Yes, I do believe in their chances of winning with Russell Westbrook. But the problem is, one, I don't know what the future holds. And two, there are still a couple questions surrounding that team with Westbrook and Harden that still needs to be answered before I say, okay, they have another shot at a championship like like the one that they did in 2018. Now, with that being said, let me put a disclaimer out there. I know you and possibly a lot more people are going to call me crazy, but I personally do believe that the Rockets had a better opportunity to dethrone Golden State without Kevin Durant getting hurt. I know that sounds crazy. I know that sounds crazy, but hear me out. Let me explain. That series came down to which team had the most pressure on them. Prior to Durant's quote-unquote calf injury, the Warriors had all the pressure on them trying to not only three-peat, but trying to get through this so-called Kevin Durant and his upcoming free agency decision. Go back to that moment prior to his injury. Every single game, every single day, it didn't matter if KD went out and scored 60 and, and Steph was right alongside him scoring 40 or 50. Every single day, that team, KD, everyone kept asking, what are you going to do in free agency to the point where you can see the wear and tear that he had on that team going into the playoffs because believe it or not daniel you guys did not have the same momentum and the same swagger coming into the playoffs and even in that first round series against the clippers that took y'all to six games you guys just seems like y'all did not have that same camaraderie amongst one another now after kevin durant quote-unquote calf injury happened all the pressure automatically went to the Rockets and 
if you don't believe me, go back and look at that series. The first four and a half games, I'm going to say a half a game because KD got hurt midway through the third. The Rockets and the Warriors were neck and neck in that series. And I'm not even going to get into the questionable calls that happened during game one. But this team was neck and neck with the Warriors up until that point happened because they did not have nothing to lose. Everyone knew that was not as good as it was the year before. And yes, the Rockets wanted them. Yes, the Rockets believed they could win. But at the end of the day, it's different by saying you, you it's different for a team going into a series when you have nothing to lose versus, oh my God, the pressure is just automatically on this team. Kevin Durant goes down. Everyone thought and believed that the Rockets should have closed out that game five in Oracle. They didn't. Then all of a sudden, you go back to Houston for a game six. At that moment, I knew the series was over. Because the narrative never was the Rockets are going to win this series or the Rockets should win this series. It was this team better not lose game six on their home court. And they did. And Daniel, you mentioned it. A championship team, a championship DNA team is going to find some kind of way to win a must-win playoff game on their home court. And unfortunately, the Rockets did not have that. That's why I feel if Kevin Durant does not get hurt, the Rockets would have had a better opportunity to win that series. Well, see, and I, I hear you, bro. I mean, it makes perfect sense. And I think that that's my frustration with, you know, I would say Rockets Twitter is that, um, you know, where, where you and I can, you know, pretty uh, clearly see the factors that put things together. It seems like, um, and not everybody on Rockets Twitter, just the people who message me privately, um, it seems like the goalposts are constantly moving as far as um, the Rockets' excuses for their failures. And um, let's go back in time to remember, there was a time when James Harden said the Golden State Warriors weren't that good, right? Um, remember there was a time when he said, I'm the real MVP, not Steph Curry. There has been so many times yeah, where the Houston Rockets organization has had something to say about the Golden State Warriors. And each time, no matter what the circumstance is, I mean, talk about injuries, Steph Curry tore his knee on, um, what's his name? Uh, Monta Yunus' sweat. And it only played 38 minutes mm -hmm. in the series. What about then? How, how come it wasn't done then? Like, in every which way, in every scenario you want to look at it, the Rockets just do not get the job done. And at the end of the day, no matter what slander you want to put the Warriors way, et cetera, et cetera, champions win championships. That's what they do. If you don't win a championship, you're not a champion. And that's okay because most people won't win a championship. It doesn't mean you're not good at basketball. It doesn't mean at your franchise shouldn't have pride. When we're talking about championships, we just all sat around for what a whole month and watched the last dance. And we watched the way Michael Jordan laughed when Gary Payton was talking about, oh, you know, you know, when I got on, you know, MJ, you know, I did a good job of slowing him down. And MJ laughed. Now I'm a Gary Payton dude. He's straight from the Bay, straight from Oakland, town biz. So Gary Payton's my guy. But Michael Jordan looked and laughed. And he was like, yeah, okay, whatever. So when you what you can see is the the mentality of michael he he's so dominant that anything is said to him by his um competition um by the guys who are opposing him on the floor he's looking at from a competitive standpoint like well are you going to get the job done or not and for some reason since that time period you know moving to the, the, the social media area uh social media era it seems like things have changed to where now excuses matter when did excuses start mattering like back in the day, there was a whole referee conspiracy about the Kings and Lakers series you mentioned, but the Lakers still went on to win the championship. There was no asterisk. So I, I, I guess I just couldn't understand why 
when the Warriors beat the Rockets in every single shape or form imaginable. They've swept the Rockets. They've gone to seven games with the Rockets. No, sorry. They never swept the Rockets. It was five games. But you've seen in every single way, Chris Paul gets hurt, KD gets hurt, Steph gets hurt, Iguodala gets hurt all the way around. And at the end of the day, the Rockets can't get the job done. So at what point do we just say, hey, the Golden State Warriors were the class of basketball for that time period, and the Rockets were excellent contenders? Why do we have potential points? Why do we have I'm the real MVP? Why do we have they ain't that good? Why do we have if only Chris Paul was healthy? Why do we have, oh, but actually it isn't better if Kevin Durant was healthy. Like the mental gymnastics are exhausting to me. And I need to just sit down and just, you know, um, drink um, out of my championship goblet as a fan and reporter and just say, hey, is what it is. <laughs> yeah, we're going to see. Now, what I am interested to see, because like I mentioned, I don't think you guys are done out there in um, Oakland or San Francisco, wherever the hell you guys are right now. San Francisco, but, um, San Francisco. Okay, San Francisco. Um, What's 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 the future hold for the Warriors? You're gonna have a healthy Klay Thompson. Steph Curry's gonna be healthy. Draymond is still Draymond. You're gonna have a lottery pick, which I do believe you guys are gonna flip for somebody. I don't think it's gonna be Giannis, but <laughs> y'all got something brewing out there in San Francisco. Well, uh, shoot, honestly, in the history of the NBA, if you have uh, three players who can play at an All Star level, they call you a contender. And, um, you know, obviously it depends on what happens. Um, but having Steph Curry, um, one of the greatest players in the history of basketball, obviously the greatest shooter. But if you're looking at point guards all time, some people say the only point guard better than ever was Maggie Johnson. So you have an all-time, all-time pantheon great there. You have Clay Thompson, um, greatest shooter uh, next to Steph Curry. Then um, you also have a guy who loves playing defense. Um, so you have a two-way threat that is like a nuclear bomb. Like no one scored more points in a quarter than Clay Thompson. Um, no one's hit more threes in the playoff or than game than Clay Thompson. Games his Clay is terrifying, as you said before. So you have two guys there who are, you know, um, real masters of the of the craft and future Hall of Famers. So then the question is, okay, um, Draymond Green. And I think this is where people kind of um, don't know what to, what to make of the Warriors. Because if you really believe in what Draymond Green um, has to offer, you're going to say the Warriors are going to be just fine. But if you believe that Draymond Green is a product of the system and um, he peaked a couple years ago and he's on the downhill slide, you'll probably say, eh, I don't trust him. Um, now, me, I'm a huge Draymond Green fan. Um, his defense, his playmaking, I mean, he led the team in assists, you know, during the dynasty. Like, this is, it was killing. Um, and uh, we saw what was it uh, last year, in fact, a, a year ago in the Western Conference Finals, Draymond Green might have been the best player on the floor. Like the dude was dominant in the Western Conference Finals. Um, so when you have those three guys there, in my mind, that's, that's three all stars, right? Um, so the question is, okay, you got three all stars that puts you in the mix. But what, what about your role players? Obviously, there's no Iguodala there, uh, no Livingston. Um, you know, these, these pieces that were building blocks there, and you have to take a look at the young guys. These youngsters spent a year going through the fire without the Splash Bros to protect them. It was them and Draymond getting their, you know, butts whoops by the rest of the league. And that uh, that experience with, you know, Eric uh, Pascal, and then you have uh, uh, Jordan Poole, Kai Bowman, uh, youngsters who were um, put into the real uh, fire there. And I was very pleased with what they came out with. Um, now, I don't know, um, obviously, what the future holds as far as them being the building blocks of a contender. But as far as having young role players who have confidence and experience, 
They're getting both of those things. So what else would you want there? In addition, they got Andrew Wiggins. Now, say what you want to say about Andrew Wiggins, but the guy like can't help but score 20 points. I like him too. Um, but he can't help but score 20 points. He can get out of the bed, sleepy, and drop 20 on you in the NBA game. Um, <laughs> I think that's a pretty huge skill to have, especially if you're going to be a position where um, the Splash Bros are going to take so much attention. You have to keep your eyes on them, and you have somebody who just can't help but score 20 points. Um, I think that's huge. And um, obviously, he has a chip on his shoulder from everyone calling him like the worst player in basketball. Um, but if you look at Minnesota, um, they had Kevin Garnett and didn't do anything with him. They had Kevin Love and didn't do anything with him. They have Carlton Towns and haven't done anything with him. Um, at a certain point, we have to hold these uh, franchises responsible. And maybe Andrew Wiggins isn't the kind of player that can turn around a, a, um, a struggling franchise on his own um, and make it great. But that doesn't mean he's a trash NBA player. So I'm very, very interested to see how um, he gets the driving lanes he needs um, with uh, so much talent around him. Additionally, the guy can play defense. I mean, if you watch his defense at all, he's playing with the Warriors. This guy is long and he works hard. You know what I mean? He, he, he's a force down there. So I think that um, people are going to be shocked next year. And when Andrew Wiggins has, I guess, a quote unquote, you know, bounce back or come back here, whatever you want to call it, because he's not going to have the focus of the defense on him anymore. He's going to have Hall of Famers around him, each going for 30, 40 points a game. All he has to do is do his role. And I think he's actually overqualified for the role we're giving him. So in my mind, um, I think the Warriors future is bright. Uh, obviously, um, this pick, what they're going to do, the path to Giannis um, would be very difficult to get. Um, <laughs> obviously, I mean, to, to get that guy, you're going to do some salary cap magic and some trade, et cetera, et cetera. But if anybody can do it, you know, uh, Bob Myers and Joe Lacob, I believe in them. But even if it doesn't happen, um, they have enough pieces in place where uh, they're at least as good as the Houston Rockets. And if the Houston Rockets are at all a dark horse contender, you got to put the Warriors right there with them. Yeah, you know, and like I said, I, honestly, outside of the L.A. teams, I believe the Rockets and the Warriors, they they always seem to just be side by side to one another. But I believe <laughs> they are the second most interesting team because there are you can be excited for the future for both of these franchises, and at the same time, you can kind of be kind of worried, like, okay, this this might not work. But you know, for you guys, and I'm glad that you touched on it. I love the fact that Andrew Wiggins is in Golden State. And I as soon as that trade went down, I was happy as heck for Wiggins because a lot of people like to talk about Wiggins like he is the worst player in the NBA, and I don't understand why. Like you say, I mean, he can literally wipe the boogers out of his eyes and drop 20 on you and I don't think nobody realized because no nobody pay pay attention to Minnesota I mean yes they have had Kevin Love they got Carnthony Towns but I don't think nobody paid paid attention to Minnesota since 2004 when Kevin Garnett won MVP there but Wiggins was having a phenomenal start to the season this year up until his grandmother passed away I believe he was averaging somewhere like 25 26 points per game um, he was developing into an all-around player and he was holding his own. And then, you know, he had a family issue going on and, you know, of course his play is going to decline. And, but he, he, him going to Golden State, I love that move. And, you, you know, the future is bright for both of these teams. At the same time, you could be kind of worried. Um, with everything that's being said before I let you go, what's your final thoughts on the last dance? Oh man, what a revelation that was. Um, Oh, just to watch the ultimate winners, um, you know, led by Michael Jordan, but that that whole crew, 
you know, that whole crew was just ridiculous. I mean, each one of those guys could give their own 30 for 30. I mean, heck, Dennis Rodman has on 30 for 30. Like, each one of those guys was such a, a legend in his own right. And um, it, was, it was amazing to see. But one of my favorite things to see was Michael um, interacting with the media. And, um, I mean, the scrutiny level that that guy was under, I mean, you saw how it got to him after a certain point, you know, especially after the passing of his father and the gambling stuff, or at a certain point, he was like, you know, I don't need this, man. Like, but still, the, the, the style and grace with which um, MJ dealt with the media, I think is something that is a lost art. Um, I know that nowadays social media is more invasive than ever. And you always have like, you know, you know, guys like, you know, me, me and you talking the most trash on the, on the Twitter or whatever. But um, I, I think it's, it, it's funny to see how I feel um, this new generation kind of looks at the media um, in a different light. And those guys back in the day did. Um, and to see Michael with a million cameras in his face asking him, is it last dance? Is it over? Are you going to come back? And he's just like, hey, you know, we'll, we'll see. You know, right now I'm focused on, you know, trying to get rid of, you know, the Indiana Pacers, you know, like, but his ability to keep that smile and that charm, even though you know he was aggravated, you know he was annoyed, but he kept that professionalism. And for any um, young player, um, I would hope that they would watch that and see that no matter you know, how crazy the media may be acting towards you. Um, you have an opportunity to represent not only yourself and your franchise and your city, but also your, your family. And um, when you're out there in front of the mics, I, as annoying as it is, when you look at Michael Jordan, the greatest of all time, the most scrutiny ever, and he handled it with style and grace, um, I think it's a wonderful example for the youth. Man, I loved everything about that documentary. <laughs> <laughs> that was possibly the best basketball documentary of all time. And yes, I know some people complaining because they ain't have his wife on there and, you know, Scotty Pippen mad because they focus on his worst moment. Look, I knew <laughs> going into this one, if Michael Jordan has anything to do with this, this is going to be a Michael Jordan documentary. They had people complaining, hey, they should only focus on the 98 series. Well, no, you can't because 98 had a lot of backstories. Yes. So, like I said, one, this was a Michael Jordan documentary. And two, I loved all the backstories, especially Steve Kerr. My God, that was a sad story. Yeah. Yeah. That was tough. Did you know about that? I did know about that. Um, but I didn't know. Um, I mean, I never saw his mother talking about it. Like, that was heavy. Like, you know what I mean? When you see how just the whole family was affected. And um, I mean, obviously, I heard about it from Steve Kerr's perspective. Um, but yeah. actually, I never I never tied in the fact that, you know, with both his father and uh, Jordan's father, you know, basically being, you know, murdered. Um, and uh, yeah. the fact that they both, you know, had so much, you know, in your emotions, in your mind, in your heart, so heavy when you have a situation where, you know, your dad gets killed. And it's like, oh, wow, like, you know, what does that change your outlook on on the world and the people around you? How does that deal with your your, your trust issues, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and to see those two guys, you know, put all that baggage behind them for a common goal was very inspirational. Yeah, most definitely. Um, well, Daniel, it's been a pleasure speaking with you today on Believe in the Rockets. Before I let you go, man, please let my listeners know where they can follow you on Twitter. So when the NBA do resume and the Rockets finally get that win, they can tweet you and talk trash to you. Yeah, you're going to add some more haters to my list. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, you can find me on uh, Twitter uh, at Weaponized Joy, and you can find my work, um, my older stuff. Like if you want to see all my old chronicles of me bashing the Rockets, that's at Golden State of Mine. And for the new stuff, uh, it's at Let's Go Warriors on Twitter. 
and uh, Instagram and let's go warriors.com is our site. And uh, we would love to have you come on there and show your point of view. Again, I have no beef with, um, you know, uh, red nation, you know, uh, Houston Rockets. It's all good. All love. But when you come in with me with the nonsense, you will be rejected. Like the warriors rejected your team year after year, after year, after year, after year. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Ladies and gentlemen, once again, this is Cody Davis, and please remember to follow me on Twitter at Cody Davis underscore 24. That's Cody, C-O-T-Y, D-A-V-I-S underscore 24. Until next time, ladies and gentlemen, peace. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.